take a time machine back to before the world went to hell. Around the year 2000. The 80s and 90s were so rad. The movies, the music, the TV, the games. That's what I want to talk about. Like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And continue the conversation on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're cool enough, join the show on Patreon for exclusive bonus content. And now... Less Than 2,000 with Adam Wentz and Chad Bischoff. Less Than 2,000. Now part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. All right, everybody, go ahead and tuck the kids in. PG time is over. It's time for PG-13 time. Yes! We are we are breaking into the scary stuff for October. Forget about the comedy. Forget about all the fun little music we've done recently. We are going dark for the month of October, and we are going to get nasty. But we're going to ease you into it a little bit. Because this time... We're going to go with a PG-13 movie, and by the end of this month, you're going to be like, oh, please go back to the nice yeah. kittens and bunnies we, that you normally do. Can we please hear something, like, uplifting and, and comedic yes. from these guys? Although I can think we are going to see a bad. lot of comedy throughout some of this, uh, especially with <laughs> some of the slate we're about to, to go through. And I don't think anybody's going to think we get nasty with Batman. So, I mean, you know, there's that. Well... Batman 1989, in fact. I mean, this is not your Christian Bale Batman. This is Michael Keaton Batman. And so I was wondering, I know for a fact this was my first PG-13 movie in my life. Yes. And this was the first PG-13 movie we ever saw together in theaters, right? Yeah, I can't think of anything that would have ever come before this. And, and, And... was this the first movie that you and I ever actually saw, period, I mean, in the theaters I think together. it has to be. I mean, you, I mean, you've made it abundantly clear over the years that we were not friends until like 1990, and this was 89. So not only was this <laughs> like I, the first PG-13 movie that I think both of us ever saw in the theater, but this was also the first movie we ever saw together. So... Let's ring this bad boy in because I hadn't yes. seen it, I think, since 1989. And how I is that possible? It. I love this movie. How, 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 I've, oh my God. See, I haven't watched it in a long, long time, but I, I wore the crap out of this VHS tape, man. I love this movie. <laughs> I still love this movie. So, but my opinion on it has changed. I, um, uh, I was a little bit of a Christopher Nolan fan and actually kind of have uh, seen The Dark Knight and I've seen the Nolan Batman over and over and over and over and over again. And it wasn't until I was forced by my best friend to go back and watch <laughs> 1989 that I actually did it. And boy, do I got things to say, as it sounds like you do as well. You know, what's so funny about that. 
I've only actually seen the Christopher Nolan ones one time each. Really? So, yes. <laughs> and by the way, I like the first one the best. So, I guess let's just cut right... Oh, of, of the Nolan ones? Yes. Oh, my God, really? See, I, yes. I, am, a, I am a Dark Knight... I'm a Dark Knight fan. You, you I, and in fact, everybody else. I, I had to sit there and force myself while watching Batman 89 to get rid of the Heath Ledger. I was trying to like remind myself that this is a different movie and that this was a different time. And I, I would, I'd see like the Batmobile. I would see stuff going down. I'd see, and all of a sudden you'd, you'd, there'd be that moment where you're like, oh, that's Michael Keaton. Or wait, that's that's Jack Nicholson. Like I get lost in the in the comic book sphere of it, and then yeah. suddenly realize, oh, I'm watching totally different actors, you know. And and I have to say, I have to say, because I always thought it was weird that Tim Burton did did this film. Like it was sort of like oh. he was such an avant garde, you know, interesting, dark you know, a uh, uh, filmmaker out of all of the Batmans, out of all of the franchises, out of all of the TV shows, hats off to Tim Burton, because I realized he is the only filmmaker that completely stuck to the comic books while still providing a unique modern for 1989 experience. And I am clapping for Tim Burton because I judged in my brain more than I ever should have. Uh, I understand why this is, you know, regarded as the best, uh, best Batman. And what was so interesting about it was realizing that it stuck so much to the comic books. It all had this like classic mystique, you know, the cop, mm -hmm. you had the overweight cop, you know, all of the, all of the, <laughs> uh, uh, um, you know, all of the, the politicians and all of the, like everything navigated in a sort of traditional world, except for. The villains and the villains were happy. They were dancing with cool boxes on their shoulder. It was like Tim Burton went, I'm going to go dark and seedy and like 1950s detective yeah, with yeah. Batman, but then slap a boombox and a big ass smile on every villain and have fun. And I, I don't think I can think of anything that came before that or much that's come after. Wow. Where do I start? Where do where do I even start? like? I'm gonna applaud you. You know what? You have you have the applause button. So hit the applause button for Tim Burton and for Chad Bischoff yourself. Oh yeah, give it up for some Chad. <laughs> Dude, I I I can't agree with you more. And that's uh, Tim Burton. This this was perfect for Tim Burton. He. He nailed this on so many levels, but, but yeah, I mean, before this, it was Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which was dark. I mean, we're not talking Pee Wee's Playhouse on TV. We are talking very scary, large Marge, traumatized me, all the weirdness that was the first Pee Wee Herman movie. Yes. And then the studio brought him on to make Batman and they wanted to make it campy like the 1960s Adam West version with the Ooh. pow, zap, pow. Wait, the studio wanted this? That, that, that's the, the rights holders wanted 
a campy like reboot of the 60s version of the of the TV show that we grew up wa- I mean we watched that show growing up it, we absolutely did oh, and it was man. good you know what I mean it's not as good as Tim Burton's Batman but what not very many thing is I will go so far as to say not even the Christopher Nolan ones even I mean, oh, they come close to this but okay. this one is okay <laughs> I'm gonna stop don't go too far down that path let's I will say <laughs> I've got I've got I, I look here, here's here's what th- this Batman movie has that the Christopher Nolan movies do not have: lightheartedness, comedy, some feel good moments. Those mil- film- films, as gritty and dark, and I know they're supposed to be gritty and dark, but there's no levity. This is an entertaining movie. Batman 1989 just makes you laugh and smile and and scream and keep you on the edge of your seat and eating yeah. popcorn. It's got action. It's got comedy. It's got romance. It's got all this, it, like you said, the comic book feel, and, and and that's what was missing the like the levity and and it's, it is funny that you point out that it's the the villains that are the <laughs> laughing ones that are having yeah. the most fun with it. Like Jack Nicholson had to have so much fun in this role. Like let's face it, you look at him, he looks like the Joker anyway. Look yeah, at him without from makeup. The Shining, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> You know, the best part of that Jack Nicholson in this is that he gave a reduced rate. He was like, you know what? I'll give you a break. Instead of my usual $10 million, I will accept six. But they had to give him a whole bunch of time off. It was a contract that said how many hours per week he could shoot and how much time off he got on shooting days. He had to have every Lakers game off. And... Instead of taking that $4 million, he took points on the movie and on merchandise. And some people have estimated that when all is said and done, Jack Nicholson's take on this movie was 50 to $90 million. Wow. Because guess what? This was a huge man merchandising uh, opportunity. Huge opportunity. What's interesting is... You know, I I started my career, you know, assisting on About Schmidt and casting, which, you know, Jack Nicholson, you know, starred in. And he was de- had those demands then. And so, like, it's interesting <laughs> that it goes all the way back pre-Batman. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so if I heard you right, you were responsible for casting Jack Nicholson for about Schmidt. No. Uh, applause no, for that. No, 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 no. <laughs> Good job, Jed. <laughs> no, no, no. I said I assisted in casting. <laughs> so uh, he was already attached, which got the money to make the film to begin with. Uh, but yeah. Well, he was great in about Schmidt, but he was great in this. And this was like, mm-hmm. God, this was like right in his prime. This was a few years before A Few Good Men. And this was, God, he was such a a big star to put on makeup like this. Oh, And, and to just... To show ass, to just not care uh, if he looked silly or, or or over the top. I mean, that was the point. That's the thing that the thing that the whole role well, <laughs> called for. Like, I mean, just off the top of my head, I, I mean, there are just a few moments and lines that, and this this speaks to the levity of, of some of this. <laughs> when he's like looking in the mirror, and she's like, "Well, I think you look great, honey." And he turns to her and he goes, "I didn't ask." And then walks away. <laughs> Towards the end of the movie, when when you know Batman's in the sky and they're trying to poison everybody in the street, and he grabs the balloons and flies off in the air, you just hear Jack Nicholson go, "My balloons!" He took my, he took balloons. my balloons, and he said it. And then all of a sudden, like the third take, he's like, 
stomping it and screaming it like a man child. And (laughs) I, I mean, just so much around that. When he's talking to the burned, charred corpse of the mob boss that he just killed, like, and they stayed with that longer than you'd think. It wasn't just like, Zed, how are you doing? He like, no, there was a good solid minute or two where he's just talking to a smoldering corpse. That was super dark. That's what made it PG-13. Part part of me wonders, uh, well, that and all the sexual innuendos. I mean, this going back and watch, there's none of that in the Nolan movies. Like, like literally, there's like the romance in it. There's like, well, I kind of want to talk to her. Um, (laughs) <laughs> What's interesting about that about that shot is it almost was like the the scene ended, but they kept rolling, and then yeah. Jack Nicholson walked up because there's this awkward framing for like a split second where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that was the cut point, and then all of a sudden it was like he just walked up and started having this whole new conversation. And if Tim Burton planned that, awesome. If it was ad lib, awesome. Either which way, it was crazy because yeah. it was this weird like minute long something moment of him taunting a burnt corpse. Yeah. Crazy. It like smoldering and bloody and visceral. And like, that was, that was intense, man. That was, that was intense. Like, and it's, it's comes from cartoon comedy of a joy buzzer, like frying the guy. Like, and and from that, they came up with such intense. This is why it's my favorite Batman. And, and I'm, I will, we don't need to argue about what's best. This is why it's my favorite, because it has everything. Previously on Chat of the Wild. Did anyone kid all the bugs for Agatha? No, No. I meant to. And I even had a bug that I, like, could have given back to her and I forgot. That bug is gone Don't go in there if, if you do and then not give it to her. I know. She can smell it on you. She knows. I know you have bugs. I know you're holding out on me. (laughs) <laughs> I can smell it. <laughs> Did anyone get um, all the pose? No. No, God, no. Chat of the Wild. Breaking down Zelda and Zelda-like games, one dungeon at a time. Wednesdays on the HyperX Podcast Network. Introducing the new HyperX Cloud Stinger 2. The Stinger 2 is a refined evolution of the classic Cloud Stinger and keeps the fan favorite 90-degree rotating ear cups, comfortable memory foam cushions, and the swivel-to-mute microphone. It also features two years of DTS Headphone X activation for upgraded sound localization, all while keeping the great price of the original Stinger. That's right, get the new Cloud Stinger 2 for only 50 bucks. Now isn't that nice? Available online at Amazon, Best Buy, Walmart, and of course, HyperX.com. Hi, it's me, Jeremy Parrish, co-host of the Retronauts podcast, the only video game history podcast that's been around so long, it's also a part of video game history. Every week, one of the motley rabble who hosts this show leads a deep dive into the past, whether it's to break down a classic franchise, learn more about a timeless game from its creator, or just wallow in nostalgia. Relive history with Retronauts, here on the HyperX Podcast Network. Vicky has no chill. <laughs> this is actually verbatim over my notes. Vicky has no chill. Stalks him right away. Like, they have the night together. She catches him in a lie. He doesn't know that she caught him in a lie because Alfred blew up his spot. And then she starts, like, doing research on him and following him around. She's not just, like, looking into the story. She's not just looking for Batman. 
Suddenly no, she's looking she, for who Bruce Wayne is as well. Yes. <laughs> she follows him to the site where he leaves the roses, takes pictures of him, and then uses her, you know, reporter friend partner to research that corner and find out the backstory. But I mean, can, and, and can you get away with it because she, she is a reporter? I mean, like, if, if this was just some random, you know, you know, one night no stand, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but the fact that she is a reporter and is new to the town and is trying to find out what makes it tick and why Batman is there and what the deal is. And there's this mysterious guy who has all this wealth and already caught in a lie. And you're there to do research. I mean, is it, is it justified a little bit? Like if it, if it was just a rando, like that was at the party. I feel like it'd be totally different than if than it, it's the reporter. Look, I'm not saying it's right, but I understand. Well, that's what I, I mean. mean. <laughs> that's what I mean. I understand it a little more because of that purpose. <laughs> Vicky has no chill. One of the things that I really liked about this film when it came to the villains, beyond they were just always happy and dancing, by the time it got to the float scene, where, you know, he's like, I'm going to give out $20 million to the city and show you who the, you know, real savior is and screw this Batman and all this kind of stuff. And he's, they're dancing and he's, they're throwing out money. And I had this moment where I thought like, one thing, one, what a great position to show the immediate greed of humanity that you would go down there and do this. And take that money. But then what a way to have a villain so evil that he's going to lure the the rats into the cage mm. and then poison them all. You know, in, yeah. in again, in Nolan's films, the bad guy is just the bad guy. There was no like, I'm going to pretend to be nice and I'm going to give mm. you money and then lure mm. you into my hell and then murder you. You know, it, mm -hmm. it, it the layers of... How sadistic sinister. and sinister, and how how you can feed off of the cesspool of people, and then and then do that. It, it's it's and the and the desires of you. It it had layers that seemed to hit me different watching this film than most films today, because most films the villain has the one note, and. This was interesting with more contrast, at least. Super, super uh, interesting character in portrayal. And I, I loved the uh, Jack Napier version of him. I, I love the way he starts out is already a psychopath, mm -hmm. but he looks really cool. Yeah. With the, the purple suits and the hat and, and not having the smile on yet. Yep. But he's, you, you get what, like, he's already a twisted person. And then he goes off the deep end. He goes crazy and he has the power and he, he no F's given anymore by Joker. Yeah. And I'll tell you the most creepy scene. I think of the seas, uh, the whole movie is the newscast that he takes over that oh, yes. legitimately. Like I had to like, I got up and went to the kitchen to get something because it was like, I needed a little bit of a break because I knew what was coming. It made I you don't, feel something so that much. Effective. <laughs> it, it's so effective. The, the, the newscast. And then she just starts laughing uncontrollably as they're talking about these two models that died and they show their pictures of their deformed faces mm -hmm. after using the makeup from Axis chemicals that was poisoned by the Joker. Yep. And, and, and then, 
then the Joker like somehow breaks into the broadcast yep. and threatens the world. Like that is terrifying. That's a terrifying premise and and just sequence. A hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. But then what I love is the next newscast. I believe it is after they realize that the products have been tampered with. I love how it, in a, in a, in a positive way, they cut to the man and the woman sitting there doing the newscast, pimples, no makeup, yep. haggard. And like, it just, again, it goes, so many people would gloss over that as just like, mm-hmm. whatever. No, I'm afraid for my life. I'm in a vain position. Yep but I'm afraid for my life and I'm not going to put it on. It was like the reverse of showing the, the, the narcissistic vanity of people. And then what happens when terror is on the loose? Yeah. So subtle, but also had a level of comedy to it. Cause the guy just has like red pimples, just like shooting yes. out of his face. I mean, and another story that I, I wanted to, to, to finish up on that, that I didn't get to was the, the, um, the studio wanted to make the campy 1960s version all over again, but they wanted Tim Burton. Tim Burton said, go after yourself. I am not doing that. I like this dark vision. I have this dark vision. It's going to be awesome. So he, he walked away. In the meantime, he made Beetlejuice and Beetlejuice was such a big hit for him with Michael Keaton Yep, that... The studio was like, do whatever you want, man. Because he's like, you have the vision. You know how to do a dark aesthetic. You can make Michael Keaton Beetlejuice. You can make him Batman and Bruce Wayne. Well, And what's interesting about that in and of itself is Michael Keaton, having played Beetlejuice, was a was kind of a weird pick for Bruce Wayne, even at the time. Very much. I, I mean... And of course, you know, he went on to have a, a, an amazing career and I've seen him in a ton, a ton of stuff, an amazing actor. But it was a little bit weird seeing him like as Bruce Wayne and Batman. But I respected the ever living hell out of the way he played it because he played it with a lost swagger. There you go. He still had a little swagger, but you could see he was lost. You could see in his eyes that there was still searching and that that complexity is i think what makes him an incredible incredible bruce wayne slash batman you know and when of course when you have the cape on you just got to have lips that don't look dumb so i mean you know he had that <laughs> he and he had his has a chiseled enough bottom portion of his face that looked good underneath the yeah. underneath the mask and looked good in that suit and, and in fact the studio got 50,000 letters complaining about the casting choice of Michael Keaton. 50,000? They were so anti-Michael anti Keaton because he wasn't big enough. He wasn't Correct. tall. He wasn't ripped. He he didn't fit the image, so, or so they thought. So the studio rushed out a trailer um, with, with, I believe, no dialogue, but just a quick trailer, and then... Suddenly, everybody was excited about Batman. They're like, you know what? I'm going to give him a chance. Does this, and what, I, what nerve do people? I'm sorry. What is it? You mean that kind of <laughs> stuff goes all the way back to the, the 80s and beyond? 
I mean, yes, this is before Twitter. Me, People had to write a letter. That's what I mean. I mean, <laughs> nowadays you can just tweet some a hole and be like, "I think this is the dumbest." I'm voicing my opinion that yeah. Michael Keaton is not right, and the studio gets enough Twitter things, and they go, "Oh crap, yeah. we should really." Letters. Yeah. They got fifty thousand letters. letters from fans <laughs> saying Michael Keaton is wrong. Guys, come on. He you was don't need so to have good. a voice in everything, please. Like, he was he was, he was so great. good at Batman and Bruce Wayne. Yes. Like he did both of them very well. And he, he did have the I loved him as Bruce Wayne. I thought he I think he's the best Bruce Wayne of all of them. Like maybe not the best Batman, but the best Bruce Wayne. Cause he just like had that lost swagger, like you said. It's such a great way of putting it. And he pulls off but he's he's like he's like an everyman and cuz that's what batman is like yes he's rich but he does not have superpowers no he's the only superhero that i'm aware of that doesn't have an inherent superpower maybe whatever ned stark or jack stark or whatever um, yeah, yeah. Iron Stark's, Man has a cool yeah, suit. Iron Man has no superpowers. But Iron but Man is a ripoff of Batman. Iron Man is Batman. That's exactly what it is. I mean, um, Iron so Man's pretty cool, but I, I re- I've always a rich been a guy with a bunch fan. of toys. Yeah, I've right? always been a bigger fan of, of of Batman. When Jack Nicholson, when the Joker is holding on to the uh, ladder from the helicopter at the end with the statue. Yeah. holding him down yep. and, and he's sliding from rung to rung and just holding on and you know he's gonna have to let go he's gonna slip that is so anxiety inducing in me like i think i have i think that's my biggest fear of death like i'm afraid of dying by having a a heavy gargoyle <laughs> shot at batman <laughs> hanging from my leg and i have to let go of the ladder because i can't hold on anymore yeah, and i mean terrifying. i don't know why that freaks me out so much but it, it it's I mean, such a horrible way. To, like, you know, it's coming and there's nothing you can do about it. And you're like, please land. Like, don't take off. Don't go up into the sky. Joker flying helicopter people. I would. I have to say this. The the chance of you dying from a <laughs> helicopter ladder with a gargoyle wrapped <laughs> to your legs while you're in the air that high up is statistically about impossible. Like what you would do to get into that position, I would have more questions about than if that was your death. I'd be like, how? I'm more worried about somebody planting that laughing device on me after I die horrifically. And somebody's like, what happened to this man? And you're just like, the laughing thing at the end or whatever it is. And you're just like, yes, you know, like, oh my God, that's terrifying question i've had since i was eight years old did he have some sort of like doomsday device on him that like when his heart stops that thing goes off or was as he's falling he knows i'm screwed and like goes into his pocket and and turn hits the button to make that happen like what was that i've I mean, always wondered that they pull it out afterwards yeah you're doing a much better yeah. one than i am was it like <laughs> was it like hooked up to his heart so once his heart stops it automatically kicks in or did he like have the presence of mind to push the button as he was falling to his death <laughs> i think he had the presence of mind to push it because because <laughs> it wasn't on earlier and literally he fell and and then they just pull it out of his breast pocket like and, the, mm-hmm. and, and show the machine. That's the one thing like, I almost wish they wouldn't have showed that. I wish you would have just heard it. And it would have mm-hmm. been more of like a mythology around like. <laughs> yeah. 
to the very end the joker is still doing gags and i don't know how i feel about it yeah to be honest with you i was i was was a little bit conflicted on this viewing if if i liked it or not to the very end literally at his death he's still doing gags with the laughing box but it like batman's up there he's batman has followed him up the thing he's gotten past all of his henchmen he's so close to screwed and then he's doing things like you wouldn't hit a man with glasses would you he's like (laughs) taking the time to do the chattering teeth gag he's doing the bang with the gun gag it's more (laughs) it's more from the comic books and that's hats off to tim burton he made a very accurate pulled off and pulled off what studios didn't want to do you know he he managed to take and bring again that detective mystery like you know, thriller, I mean, you know, situation from the comic books and mix that with modern popple art, you know, with boom boxes and villains and prints, you know, and yes. but, but gags all the way through because that's who Joker was. Is he my favorite Joker? This is where I still kind of tend to lean towards Heath Ledger's version of it, you know, which was 100% inspired by Jack Nicholson and they actually spoke about the character before really? he went and filmed. And so cool. Jack Nicholson had influence in Heath Ledger's performance. However, I do kind of like, just like Tim Burton modernized the, you know, seedy underbelly of this city, of Gotham City, Nolan kind of modernized it and and brought a, a, a very interesting, realistic edge to the Joker. Um and, uh, and Batman also did not kill him in that one. So. <laughs>